I can't tell you the kinds of things you've brought home, so I really, I really can't. We had a cougar that slept under our bed. This is a show where we'll explore what it means to retire with purpose, to make a difference, to invest in your family, your community, to live to your full potential and explore abundant opportunities to live with purpose and community. From Garden Spot Communities in New Holland, Pennsylvania, welcome to Purpose in Retirement. Hi, I'm Scott Miller, the Chief Marketing Officer at Garden Spot Communities. And I'm Juanita Fox, the storyteller. Pat Frankel has had some amazing adventures. She certainly has. Her husband, Ed, is an exotic and small animal vet, and together they've traveled the world to find rare animals. So Pat shares some of those stories with us, standing face-to-face with gorillas in Uganda, snapping photos of blue-footed boobies in the Galapagos, and feeding raccoons in central Pennsylvania. And don't forget about sleeping with a cougar under her bed. There is that. She's also taken on significant challenges throughout her life, like becoming a farmer without any prior experience. In our conversation, she also shares the importance of living in community, especially in 2020, when so many people lived in isolation. Garden Spot Communities is pleased to partner with Water Street Mission. Based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Water Street Mission serves more than 400 meals a day and provides warm beds and access to hot showers for Lancaster's homeless population. Water Street provides the tools to people experiencing homelessness so they have hope for a better life. This begins with a meal and shelter and unfolds differently for each person seeking help. Garden Spot residents and team members volunteer to serve meals once a month and also donate warm coats to Water Street each fall. To learn more about Water Street, click the link in the podcast description or visit www.wsm.org. Pat, thank you for coming in today and talking with us. You know, um, we like to give our listeners a sense of the people that we're talking with. And I, I understand that you managed the farm. Um, so, like, what kind of a farm did you and your husband, Ed, what, what kind did you own? And like, kind of tell us, like, where was it located? Um, and just help us understand your life experience a little. All right. You have to understand, we didn't know anything about farming. I don't think we'd even been on a farm. My husband wanted land, so we moved to Honeybrook, and he bought his practice, and he left me in a falling-down house on 57 acres. So wow. the taxes were quite a bit. So therefore, I said, we have to do something. We tried sheep. That was not good. We tried a garden. The raccoons enjoyed it thoroughly. <laughs> so finally, we thought, what about Christmas trees? So we planted Christmas trees for a choose and cut Christmas. And we ended up having about a thousand people a day on the farm on the weekends, unless the eagles were playing. (laughs) And we uh, planted uh, 6,000 a year. And we did it whether we planted whether it was raining or snowing. I learned how to do that. I learned how to run a tractor. I learned how to hire and fire. So it was just a lot of fun. And so you did manage the farm. I did, because <laughs> he was earning the money to support us until the trees got big enough. <laughs> so. so what was Ed's 
position? What was his work, life's work? He's a veterinarian. He's loved animals since he was very little. His mother couldn't stand animals, so that must have been very interesting. Um, he wanted to be a small animal veterinarian. He said that at Kansas State, they were out on a hillside, and it was 10 degrees below zero with 40-mile-an-hour wind, and they were pulling a calf. And he said, I decided then I was never going to do large animal. And uh, he has a passion. I can't tell you the kinds of things he's brought home, so I really, I really can't. We had a cougar that slept, slept under our bed because it was sick and recovering from anesthesia one time. That was, that was the worst one. So. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so it sounds like he does small animal vet, but he's also somewhat exotic Oh, yes. Oh, animals. yes. He works with the uh, Game Commission, and whenever they have something that can be fixed, uh, however they have to fix it, they bring it to him, and he works on it, uh, or he decides that the poor animal can't make it, and he makes the decision. And then when they're well, they, they are released either on our farm or wherever, so... We have a lot of raccoons over there now. Wow. So in addition to treating the exotic animals on your farm, I know that you've traveled to see some of those live and in person. Can you tell us a little bit about those trips and what kinds of animals you went to explore? All right. First of all, we did very little traveling in the beginning uh, because we were getting established. And then when we did travel, the first place we went was Galapagos. And there you can see any kind of animal you want, and you can stand there three inches from them, and they don't blink. And the best part was the blue-footed boobies. So that's unusual. Anyway, so that was very good. We went across the equator like five times, and the captain told us each time, which I don't think was necessary. <laughs> so, And uh, we took little trips, but... the. the my husband has had a number one on his bucket list, and that is to go see the gorillas, the mountain gorillas, before they disappear. So we decided to go, and I said, I will stay at the bottom of the mountain. You may climb it. And we saw a lot of other things also. But when we got there, the guide said, come along, and I'll just keep you company down here. And we got there, and he said, here is your guide. He will help you get up the hill. So it's not a hill. It's a mountain, okay? And it's, you look over the side six inches away, and it's straight down. And it had rained, so it was all muddy. They said, you go first because you're the littlest. What they meant was I was the slowest. So I was behind the, the guide, and they had two people with guns in case we got attacked by Lord knows what. And we had people... They were called porters, but what they really were was trying to pull me up the hill. So <laughs> I had one in front and one in back. The one behind me was very gentle, and I finally turned around and said to her, push. You're not pushing. <laughs> You're not pushing hard enough. And we're, we're, we're halfway up. Uh, well, we're, we think we're getting close. And the guide says, they have found them, and we're very close. We think, oh, thank goodness. He said, it's only about two more miles up the mountain. So, Okay. So we did get there eventually. Of course, we're, we're, the guys keep back, and then we go forward. And my husband and our friend are walking along, and he hears this tremendous roar, scares him half to death. And he looks over, and practically right next to him is 
the, the male gorilla, and he takes his hand and he swipes down the greenery, and he sits down and he starts eating and he looks at them. Now, these are not habituated. Our job was to try and habituate them so that they don't get killed. So everybody's a little nervous, but of course everybody's click, 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 clicking with their cameras. And I enjoyed the babies. There were a whole bunch of babies, and they were climbing the trees and swinging from tree to tree and giving their mothers a hard time, and they, they were just adorable. So I'm afraid I didn't really look at the, the giant gorilla. We do have a picture of him in our house now. So we were allowed to stay there for an hour, wow. which was very, very nice. And then we went down. Well, they didn't tell you that going down was worse than going up because <laughs> it, it, was, it was slippery. And so, mm. you know, by the time I got down, I was thoroughly annoyed at our guide. I said, you, you really owe me big time, is what I told him. Ed's still working. Yes. Right? Yeah. Now he's out doing the same thing. Right. right. But you're living here and in among people. Right. So what's that like for you? That, the word I use is scary because he knows as an essential worker and he has animals and people in all day long, he's coming back to Garden Spot and he is really afraid, as I am, that we're going to bring something back to Garden Spot. Garden Spot has been very, very, I don't want to say lucky, they've planned very well how they're going to take care of us. And every time we go out, we think to ourselves, as we see a million people without masks, that we're going to keep our masks on and we're going to do what we have to do because it's not just us. It's, it's a, almost a thousand people here that, in, in essence, we're responsible for them being well. Yep. Yeah, the masks aren't for us. They're for the other people. <laughs> the mask, it's not for us. It's for our neighbors. I, yeah, it is. exactly. It is. Do yeah. I like it? No. <laughs> it's very hot. <laughs> <laughs> but necessary. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's one of the great things is that this community in general has embraced that, even if we don't like it, right? And that's helped keep everybody safe. Switching gears again a little bit. So you, um, you volunteer a lot. I do. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, where you're involved and how you're involved? And maybe contrast that back to before you were at Garden Spot, did you volunteer the same amount um, and carry some of those things, or did it change for you? Okay. Um, first of all, I do not like to do housework. Therefore, I started volunteering. And then once you get into it, it's really fascinating. And as I tell everybody, they really should give me a raise because I'm working a lot. Nobody pays any attention to that. <laughs> so, But um, I work the reception desk a lot. And the reason I do that is because I feel that person is the first thing people see when they come, and they, if they're new. And it's my job to let them know what Garden Spot's going to be like. So that's what I enjoy about that job. Plus, I like everybody in marketing. They're great. And, and the clients are good. And I do a Pollyanna with people when they come to the desk. Pollyanna is a book, and she used to play the glad game. Her job, she thought, was to make everybody laugh and have a good time. So if I can get one of our residents to laugh or at least smile, I think that's really good. That's a good day. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. So what would you say the role of your neighbors um, played for you in the midst of, of, of the pandemic? We would get tired and we'd kind of call each other and we'd all come out 
like maybe six at a time, and we'd be six foot apart with our masks on, and we would pretend hug, and uh, which is not the same thing, by the way. It's it is not. really not. I can't wait. I can't wait. I have so many hugs to give out. <laughs> um, and just watching this place organized to take care of people that couldn't go anywhere was amazing. So Dexo, everybody, I mean, everybody just pitched in and said, what can we do? And I think that's amazing. Um, you talked about the with Ed being an essential worker, that he was very careful to, you know, wear his mask and that even when you leave today, that you're very careful to wear your masks. Are there other precautions that he may have done to help mitigate the risk with your neighbors? Um, He is washing everything down and he's washing his hands, of course, all that. And I can't get him to clean his car. That would be great. Uh, but he's very aware when people come to the door to put his mask on, and when he goes out to get the mail, if they come too close, he says to stay away, because at this point, we've been apart so long in our neighborhood that you tend to forget, and you start to come toward each other more than you did before. And so he tells them, you know, that they have to, nicely, that they have to back up. Sure. So just that extra space, you yeah. know, it just yeah. gives people a exactly. little more safety. Exactly, exactly. People these days are asking, is it safe to live in a retirement community um, during a pandemic? So what would you what would you say to people that are thinking about that type of a thing? I'd say they're ninety percent more secure and safe here than they are anywhere out there. For instance, we wanted to go to uh, a local place and have dinner okay and it's an outside place they have gourmet hot dogs and gourmet tacos so it sounds great we went at like six o'clock there were like 25 people there most of them younger not one mask in sight Hmm. so we left we didn't stay and I think if we were not in the situation we are here we might have stayed and I think that's that's the difference. If everybody's wearing masks, you don't feel bad wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. If you go somewhere and there's nobody with a mask but you, it passes your mind that maybe you should take it off. You don't, yeah. but you th- you think about it. What was the impact of having health experts in the community to help navigate all of the conflicting information that, you know, if you had just turned on the TV that and change the channel from channel to channel, you might have gotten conflicting information. What was it like to have the health experts right here and accessible in a time when um, the messages were confusing? Oh, I think it was essential. I don't think we would have been as compliant. I think we would have said, well, this one says that, that one says that. Why should I bother? But with the, the fact that the whole thing was coming at us as a unit, and coffee and conversation was really important. And the fact that we could call in and ask our questions and nobody knew who it was, that was great. Um, and we have uh, skilled nursing being locked down, having learned about that and learned out why. We were able to talk to people on the phone. People were calling wanted to go visit. And I had to have something to say to them. And they provided that. So not that anybody that called like that, but, you know, yep. they they were okay with it. Once they knew what we were doing and we told them this, this, and this, they were okay. Mm-hmm. But I think 
it was just a unit. It was like the whole staff got together and decided that this is what we're going to do. How did you make the decision to move to a retirement community? Well, I was ready, obviously, before my husband. Um, he wasn't ready at all. And I, we were just walking around the farm one day, and I said, you know, honey, when you leave, I've got five outbuildings that are full of equipment and a house that's full of equipment, and I'm going to have to take care of all that if you die. The next day, he says to me, let's start looking. So I wish I'd said it five years earlier, but that's another story. Anyway, um, we wanted someplace where we were fairly close. He didn't mind being further away, but my idea is if he had to go in at night, which he does often, more than a 20-minute drive, I would never, never, ever see him. So we, we decided that 20 minutes to 25, half-hour drive was all we were going to get into. We went to probably 10 different places. The thing that impressed me was I asked if we could go see skilled nursing and Laurel View and so forth and so on. And they said, sure, go ahead. They didn't take us there. They didn't tell anybody we were coming. We just went in and we went in and we asked questions. I tell people when they come now, they want to know whether it's friendly or not. And I, I say, listen, I have to go deliver something down to the small fish tank, okay? And I said, I'll bet you that there's not one person that doesn't smile or say hello to me. I have never lost that bet. <laughs> in all, but six years now, I've never <laughs> lost that bet. So, you know, in fact, we went, we went to Missouri. And I was walking down the street, and I said, hello, hello. And everybody's like, oh, my goodness, what is wrong with that woman? And I thought, well, I'm not, I'm not at home anymore. <laughs> What would you tell somebody to encourage them to move sooner rather than later? Uh, the same thing. Ed was asking that when we were going on the tours. He would ask people, what do you want to tell us? And the very first thing those people would say, don't wait. And I think that's the main thing I'm telling people is don't wait. We have dear friends who are 80. They downsized from 15 acres to 5 acres at 80. Now, does that make any sense? No, it doesn't. And now they're in terrible health, and they can't go anywhere. And it's just a shame, because you don't have any time to enjoy. Look at everything we have here to enjoy. And if you're too old, you can't do it. And what's the point? What's the point? And I think it's just smart, you know. And I think a lot of people have this vision of nursing homes the way they used to be you know, smelly and cruel and uh, nurse hatchet and all that sort of stuff. And I think if they would just go and visit some places that they would end up coming a lot sooner. And that's what I tell them. I say, please, don't wait too long. And I said, also, you should know that here we're open to any questions you have. We'll be more than happy to see you again, take you anywhere you want. If you're unhappy with what you saw, let us know and we'll do something different. What would you say to someone who is uncertain that a retirement community is a good place to be in the middle of a pandemic? I would tell them it's probably the safest place as you can be in the whole world. Uh, even though they talk about uh, nursing homes and so forth that have had some problems, I still think as an elderly person who's prone to get anything and is f fragile, not me, of course, I'm very, very healthy, um, that the best place they can be is in a nursing home. Not a nursing home, a retirement village. There's a difference. So, you know, 
I feel safe. Mm. My neighbors feel safe. We, you know, we don't worry about it. Isn't that interesting? We don't worry about it. That is. We look at the newspaper and we say, oh, that's too bad. And then we just go on about our business. Yeah. So that's, that's, a, that's a glorious thing, okay, to be able to feel that way. Do you dread vacations because you need to find someone to get the mail, watch the house, mow the yard, or shovel the snow? Do you long to simply pack your bags and lock the door before heading on a trip? At Garden Spot Village, you have the freedom to simply lock your door and walk away. Security, maintenance, lawn care, and snow removal, all are included in your monthly fee. So you get to explore the places you want to explore when you want to do it. To learn more, visit GardenSpotVillage.org. loves to make people smile, and she does hard things. She's not afraid to take on new challenges, especially those challenges that will broaden her horizon and stretch her in uncomfortable ways. She certainly does. She literally had to figure out how to manage the farm. She had some false starts, but with tenacity and a positive spirit, she figured it out. And together, she and Ed built some pretty amazing memories for themselves and their community. We summarized the five main ideas from our conversation with Pat in a PDF. Number one, Pat told us about how they started a Christmas tree farm. Two, about how she learned to drive a tractor. Number three, about climbing mountains. Four, making others laugh. And five, encouraging others to volunteer. The PDF is entitled Five Ways to Broaden Your Horizon, and the link is in the podcast description. It will help you start thinking about how you can expand your horizons. Scott, let's not forget the giveaway for a hot air balloon ride. Through June 2021, if you contact us through our website, gardenspotcommunities.org, we'll enter you into a drawing for a hot air balloon ride for two. Be sure to mention the podcast before you press submit. Again, contact us through our website, gardenspotcommunities.org, and we will enter you into a drawing for a hot air balloon ride for two. Contact us soon because the offer ends on June 30, 2021. Thank you for listening to Purpose in Retirement. I'm Scott Miller. And I'm Juanita Fox. Special thanks to Pat Frankel. Our senior producer and host is Scott Miller. Our co-host is Juanita Fox, and our producer is Gavin Souter. In our next and final episode for this season, we'll hear from Marsha Dawson. Marsha literally has friends all around the world. You're not going to want to miss her inspiring stories. 